Well, again, it's good to be able to be with you. Can I invite you to grab a Bible and a pen and paper? And we have an opportunity just to jump into some scripture. But before we dive into John chapter 18, I want to make sure that we understand this. Faith will always triumph over fear. And there are so many people living in fear right now. It may be, you may be one of them. But we even think about that, I, I think, of 1 Peter chapter 3, especially if you start reading around verse 9 or 10, you dive into then 13, 14. It talks about how we, we don't have to have that fear anymore. But it says that we are to not fear and even be troubled. Right? That's what happens when you have certainty in Christ and you give the proper value to those things that are eternal and those things that actually matter the most. And so right now, today, we're going to have an opportunity to evaluate where we are in faith. And that's a tough thing to do. That's a hard thing to be able to do, but today we're going to to be able to take that opportunity to evaluate where we are in faith and what is the fear, what is the worry doing to our lives as we consider all that Christ has done for us. Um, So that's what we get to do. We're looking at different people. We began last week when we looked at Peter. This week we're looking at Pilate. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to consider their point of view when it comes to looking at Jesus and How did they see Jesus? What did that do to impact their own lives? We know that Peter denied uh, Christ three times before the rooster crowed. We address that in John chapter 18. Um, It says in verse 26, 27, it says um, that Peter again denied and at once a rooster crowed. That was the last time. And now as a result of Peter denying Christ, Christ Jesus is being brought before the ruling officials of the day. So we're going to unfold and unpack that passage a little bit to learn what it's really meaning for us. Before I get into different names of everybody that's involved in this passage and in different people who are involved, I want you to, I want you to understand a little bit about the governing um, principles that were at play here. When Jesus Christ was born, Herod the Great, maybe you've heard that name, Herod the Great was ruling. Now that was at his birth. You hear about, we even read about the shepherds going and having and visited with Herod. You read about um, Herod wanting to kill all the boys from that area when Jesus was about two years old. So Herod the Great was ruling. Well, Herod the Great, when he died, the kingdom was divided up amongst his, and divided amongst his boys, his sons. But one of his sons who was ruling over the area of Judea, was so cruel and horrific in many ways that Rome said, you know what, this isn't working out. And so what they decided to do was they decided to put governors in place of of different districts, different areas, and that's where Pontius Pilate comes into play. And the governor would be able to appoint a high priest, a high priest of the area in which they governed over. Well, the high priest that we've read about in this this, uh, chapter before His name is Caiaphas. So you have Pilate, who's now one of these, uh, from Rome, who's one of these officials, who's governing over this area. He appoints Caiaphas. The majority of governors would appoint a high priest roughly annually. Well, Pilate didn't do that. 
he had appointed Caiaphas, and it had remained that way. And so these guys knew each other well. Um, they had grown accustomed to each other. And here they are together now in Jerusalem, and they're serving. Um, Tiberius is another name that you might pick up on as you read through these chapters. T uh, Tiberius is someone who actually was over Pilate and from Rome. And so here is Pilate wanting to make sure he can do everything possible to keep the peace. That's what he was instructed to do. He wanted Rome to make sure that they kept their rule, their authority, but he also was instructed to keep the peace. So hopefully that helps you out a little bit because all of a sudden what we find in this passage in, jo in John chapter 18, we're really going to begin with verse, 18, uh, verse 28, John 18, 28. It talks about after Peter had denied Christ again, that Jesus had been led away from the house of Caiaphas, high priest, to the governor's house, Pilate. You there with me? All right. Um, it was early morning, and they themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters, Pilate, so that they would not be defiled but could eat Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said to them, What accusation do you bring against this man? And they answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would have not delivered him over to you. Now, I want to come back in this passage here. I want to highlight this. Jesus is being brought before them, before Pilate the governor. And he asked them, what accusation is there? And he says, if this man were doing nothing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. I want you to underline that, make a mark, something right there in Scripture. I want you to just make a note there. And we're going to come back to that in a second because I think it's that important for us to be able to do that very thing. Now, here he is. Jesus is being brought before Pilate the governor. Here's what you've got to understand as well. Not only with the governors and the high priest and everything else that's been unfolding, but Rome generally, for the most part, they allowed the Jews to conduct their own trials. They would allow them to take care of their own business when it came to these types of matters. And the Jewish leaders, what they ended up doing is very quickly, they formed um, the Sanhedrin in an attempt to make their trial appeal, appear to be legal. Now, the Sanhedrin was 70 to 75 ruling officials in Jerusalem, and they would come together and they would make these decisions. But they were breaking the law, their own Jewish law. The people bringing Jesus before Pilate to get rid of him were breaking their own laws, and they knew it. They knew that they were doing this very thing. So here's, here's some examples of what their own laws said to them. Um, they, their own laws would have said that the capital cases were always to be tried in daylight. This was a capital case. They were doing it at night. So there's one of the laws that they were breaking. We know that trials were not to be placed on the eve of a festival. This was Passover, and they were doing that. We know that convictions on capital cases could not take place on the same day, and yet that was, taken, that was happening. We know two witnesses were required. We know that they would have needed to appoint a defense attorney of sorts for Jesus, but they didn't do that either. They were trying to get around the system to get what they wanted. And so here they are bringing Jesus. Here's Pilate and his view of everything that's happening. He's, they're bringing Jesus before the governor and says, they led Jesus away from the house of Caiaphas, the high priest of the governor's headquarters, and all of these things end up unfolding. Now, if you look at this passage as well, it says the following. After Pilate had asked, what did this guy do? They say, hey, he's, he just knows he's evil. 
Pilate says, take him yourself, judge him by your own law. But they knew that they were breaking their own law. The Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. Rome had already determined that. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. And so it says for us in verse 33, it says, So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord? Or did others say it to you about me? Now, part of the reason they're asking this is because they know that if he claims to be king, then that is something that they can then accuse him of and then also hold him accountable to. Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. And so Pilate said to him, so you are a king? Now here he is asking about being king again. And Jesus says, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, what is truth? What we're going to learn about Pilate, and I want to make sure we truly grasp all of this and his understanding of who Jesus is, is Pilate is somebody who lived in apathy. And apathy is one of, apathy is one of the most dangerous traits to the Christian faith. Apathy is one of the most dangerous traits to the Christian faith. We need to know this. Apathy, what apathy is, apathy is, is where you show a lack of interest in what, in what the Christian claims that Jesus has done. It's when you don't really have much of an interest at all. And apathy is incredibly dangerous. Right now, what we're learning about who we are and what's happening in our world, and this is going to maybe get, perk your ears up. It's going to make them rise a little bit. But here's what we're learning. I think in the midst of what's taking place with the coronavirus and everything else with finances and people losing jobs, etc., we don't know how long this is going to go, but I trust God with everything in my life. And what I think, one of the things I know that we're learning is that we're learning that the church is right now, it has been full of people, so many that are actually apathetic. They have very little interest in worshiping Jesus. They simply have an interest in Jesus advancing their own cause. And that's powerful for us to say. That's, that's something that we really have to absorb and be able to process because we then are forced to evaluate whether or not we're truly people of faith or do we simply want Jesus to step into our life and to bring us what we desire. So many are waiting for everything to resume as it was. Hear me say it lovingly, but I don't want things to go back to the way they were. Nobody I know, nobody I've ever encountered would have told you four weeks ago, eight weeks ago, 12 weeks ago that our nation, that our world was chasing Jesus. 
And maybe you live in a specific area where that a revival is breaking out somewhere around the world. And if so, praise God. But I know that where I live and in this nation and I travel around a bit and I've lived in various places, I don't know any friends who would have said, man, our nation is chasing after Jesus. If our nation wasn't changing, chasing Jesus prior to all of this unfolding, why would we want to return? Other than the fact we actually want Jesus to simply give us our idols back. There are so many of us right now, and we look at the life of Pilate, and we're forced to evaluate our own life of apathy, and there are so many people who we don't even know what to do at home right now, and we don't know how to spend time with our kids. We don't know how to spend time with our spouse. And so what we've actually done is we have allowed the idol of busyness. We have allowed the idol of busyness to serve, to remove us from the responsibility of knowing how to parent and knowing how to be a spouse and knowing how to be a friend. And it's because we're apathetic in our faith so often. So do I want to return to that? I don't. I don't know what it's going to look like in a month or in three months or in six months, but I know this, my God is still on the throne. I know that my God is still perfect. I know that my God has redeemed through the gift of his son, Jesus Christ, that I have eternal life in him. Will we trust him right now? If you're being dictated by fear, you can't live in faith. And I, I believe, I look around at churches, I look at so many people, and we're struggling and we're fighting to make sure we get back to normal. We don't need to get back to the way we were. We need to get to a place of where we are worshiping Jesus in a more intimate, passionate way than we ever had before. May every knee bow and every tongue confess, Jesus Christ is Lord. Let that echo in your living rooms. Jesus Christ is Lord. Do I want to go back? I don't. I want every tongue to confess that Jesus is Lord. The reason that we're struggling so much with with fear and with trusting God is because we have allowed our faith to move to apathy. Again, it's one of the most dangerous traits of the Christian faith. It shows a lack of interest and what Christianity actually claims about Jesus. And so we've just ran through it. One of the things, because we have so much more time on our hands, right? And um, I look at it, and things have altered so significantly. But yesterday, one of the things my family enjoys doing, uh, at least a few of us, we enjoy playing this game called Monopoly, right? Hopefully you've heard of it before. You buy properties, put houses on them, hotels, you make people pay you rent. And I enjoy defeating everybody in my wake. And I look at this, and finally, my, I, have a, I have one of my kids, and I have my wife. They just, she's never really enjoyed playing Monopoly that much. Um, and so finally, last night, the kids are like, you got to play, Mom. you got to play, Mom. you got to play, Mom. And so we all sit around the table, and we're ready to play Monopoly. It, I remember growing up where my brother and I would play for days, one game. Like, nobody would give up. We'd be doing anything we can to stay in the game. It would take forever. Last night, we played Monopoly in an hour and two minutes. The entire game. Buying property, houses, everything. And here's why. Because a couple of the people playing, I'm not going to call out names, um, but a couple of the people playing had just little interest in it. 
they had no, they had no true interest in playing. And so they would just give you a property if you, they owed you money or whatever. It didn't really matter to them. And they had so little interest in it that it really just, we sped through it and it was over. And I think, honestly, that's a way to understand apathy. They were apathetic toward monopoly. And so many of us are apathetic in our faith. We have little interest in it unless it's calling on Jesus to fulfill what we desire rather than simply giving glory to God for what he's already done. And we're apathetic. Pilate is a picture of someone who is apathetic. Six different times he attempted to release Jesus, and he could have done it, but he never did. He would never take that bold step of going, no, okay, you're not doing anything to this guy. Six different times. He was apathetic. Why? Because Pilate was more concerned about himself than he was anything else. And so he just wanted to keep the peace. He wanted to ensure that he was going to keep his authority and his power. The irony is this, is that the year 36, just a few years after this, he actually was sent back to Rome and he lost his role. He lost his position. He was apathetic. Self was his primary concern. And so here, all of a sudden, you have these temple leaders. They're charging Jesus with blasphemy which wasn't even a crime. And so then all of a sudden they keep asking him about being king of the Jews because then by at least, by, by manipulating the situation and by putting words in the mouth of Jesus, by saying he said he was king, at least they can claim in that, in that moment that there was treason. So here are these people full of apathy. And apathy, a definition that I wrote personally of apathy, just to help us understand, is apathy is lacking the courage to act due to allowing for little or no godly conviction. Now you, uh, if you've ever come to church here, uh, you know I, I love godly conviction. I, I think it's a blessing. Conviction is a blessing. Because we know that the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit is a gift left to us, and he dwells within us, and he directs our paths and our, our, our thoughts. And we, That's why when a, when a kid hits someone and they know right away they did something wrong, that's Holy Spirit directing them. That's why we say you can't separate morality from Jesus Christ, from his word. And so when we look at this, we go, okay, wait a second, Holy Spirit is speaking to our life. That's why we have conviction. He's saying, eh, you know, you shouldn't really be going down this road. It's a blessing for us. The only people who don't think convic conviction is a blessing are the people who are actually just concerned about doing what they desire to do. And so it serves as, as, as something that irritates them rather than it serves as a blessing of saying, oh, I can follow Christ more appropriately here. We see it as an annoyance because we want to serve ourselves. And so this is the picture of a pilot. So here's what I'd like to do for you. I'd like for us to take an opportunity recognizing that apathy was such a big player in the life of Pilate and in so many of us. And right now, what a perfect time for us to evaluate all of this, right? I want us to look at some things that lead to apathy, things that you can see in your own life that you go, oh, man, maybe I have been apathetic. I've never heard anybody who's a friend of mine say, you know what, I'm just apathetic. It's something that we don't naturally say. But maybe we'll at least, at least in the, in the minimum, we are willing to acknowledge some other things that lead to apathy. One of the things here, and I want to draw it, and I want to show it to you more as a funnel, okay? So these are things that pour out, into, and, and we go, man, you start putting all these things together, and more and more apathy is going to come out. 
one of the things that we see is compromise. So if you can make sure you fill that in or, or write that down, if you don't have the, the worship guide, the notes in front of you, compromise. Pilate is someone who had numerous opportunities to make a better decision, but he, he refused to do such. And so he would continually compromise different things in order to try to get around making a true decision. I think even when Jesus Christ was taken away and going to, the, uh, to Golgotha and carrying the cross and being flogged and being whipped and being sped upon, I think Pilate was hoping that that would be enough for the people and to release him. I think he was trying to compromise when he offered Barabbas. The law actually stated that somebody could have been given to death at one person to be able to, to take that role. And so he takes a criminal. He takes a murderer by the name of Barabbas, and he, he kind of waves Barabbas in front of the people and says, well, I know, I, I know they're going to choose Barabbas, right? <coughs> Excuse me. Somebody in the back, bring me a cup of water. That would be great. <coughs> Excuse me. So as we look forward and we look at Pilate here, I will truly think that he was going, they're, they're certainly going to, to choose Barabbas over Jesus, but they didn't. He was trying to compromise. He was trying to find some other way around it, but it never actually worked. It never actually worked. He was someone who was compromising in every part and every aspect of his life. And so we see that taking place. And right here, go ahead and just walk forward right here. That'd be great because I can't keep talking right now without a little bit of water. Um, Pastor Luke, thank you so much. You're a servant. You're a kind gentleman. Oh, much better. So we look at Pilate as being someone who's like, man, he had so much apathy in his life. And one of the things that started leading to that apathy is he always compromised. Are you compromising your faith? If you study church history and what has happened with churches today, I believe that we have compromised Jesus over and over again. You track church history. Our services have gotten shorter and shorter and shorter. Why? Do you think we have a smaller and smaller God? Now, am I saying that the length of your service is a, a picture of the size of your God? I'm not. But why do you think they've gotten smaller? It's because we have allowed all the idols of sports and music and everything else and fishing and boating and all these other things to come into our, our life. And so what we've done is we keep shrinking the role of God and church in our lives so that the other things that we actually want to worship, our idols can grow. Reality check. And so we have begun to compromise certain aspects of our life. Godly conviction is something that we see as an annoyance rather than seeing godly conviction as a blessing to push us toward Jesus. And so this is one of those things that we see in the life of Pilate that really contributed to the apathy that he had. Another thing that we see is and it's on the screen, don't worry because of my writing. Manipulation for self-preservation. This is one of the things that we see here. Is that they continually manipulated. Pilate would always manipulate everything that he's seen there. Even the crowd did this. I want to make sure we go back. And I asked you to highlight it before in Scripture. But this is what it says. 
So right when Jesus had been brought to Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters, right, from, from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters, Pilate's place, all of a sudden, Pilate looks at them and says, what accusation do you bring against this man? So I want you to see something. Pilate looks at them and says, what is the accusation? And here's what the leaders say to, to Pilate. Just know he's doing evil. What they're really communicating is, we don't like what he's doing. They don't have an answer. He says, what's the accusation? They don't answer him because at this point, they don't have anything, and they know they don't have anything that they can kill this man for, but they want to get rid of him. And so they begin to manipulate the situation for their own self. Pilate did the same thing over and over again, and maybe that's what you've done. You've begun to manipulate your faith in order to work for your, in your own favor when God owes you nothing more than what he's already done for you. It's manipulation for self-preservation. And Paul's desire for self-preservation was his number one priority. And what's interesting about this is in John chapter 18, it prevent, his desire for self-preservation, if you look at this, his desire for, to, for number one to take precedence, for himself to take precedence, to be at rule in his own life, it prevented him from even listening or seeing the truth. It, this is what it says. Very end, 37, 38. Jesus says to this guy, because again, he's talking about, are you king? He's trying to find something to hold this guy for. And Jesus says, listen, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. And remember, he is the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. We find that in John chapter 14, verse 6. But we also see in, in the Gospel of John all the I am statements. He's saying, this is who I am. I am truth. John chapter 1 says, says it beautifully. And so here he is. He's like, I was born and for this purpose I've come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And here's what it says in verse 38. Pilate said to him, what is truth? And after this, he went back to the Jews. All of a sudden, Pilate is hearing, standing in front of the truth. The truth is speaking to him, and he turns away from the truth, and he walks away. Apathy causes you to walk away from the truth of who Jesus actually is in your life. And it causes you to believe that actually Jesus is here to simply champion your cause rather than you championing his. And that's what we see with Pilate. If anything, guys, I know you're going, man, I'm, right now I just need a pastor to tell me everything's going to be okay. Okay. Everything's going to be okay if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. I have no worry or concern or fear because my faith in God is primary. I don't know if we'll ever have an opportunity to truly evaluate if we're truly people of faith more than right now. Because here's Pilate who just wanted to... To, to have self-preservation. And finally, this one I want to share. Here, here's another thing that led to apathy, 
And this might hit home a little bit. Fear. Pilate made decisions out of fear. Over and over we see that very thing. In John chapter 19, 8 through 11, I want to share this with you. In John chapter 19, 8 through 11, it says, When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. Now, if we could just leave that there, I want to make sure you know what's, what's taking place here. This, at this point, they've already delivered Jesus to be crucified. Jesus had come out wearing a crown of thorns, purple robe. Pilate said to them, behold the man, the chief priest, right? And the officers saw him. They cried, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. There he is again, trying to release him, but he never just said, be done with it. And the Jews answered him, we have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he had made himself the son of God. And when Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He knew that what was taking place was wrong. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Now, before I read this verse, know this. What he's saying is, don't you know what position I hold? Jesus says, listen, you would not have authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. We look at this passage and we start to remember Jesus' words to Pilate that he would, he would have no authority over Jesus at all unless it had already been given to him from above. That's why he's letting us know in, in John chapter 18, verse 36. Listen, remember, this is not my world. People have asked me over and over, Joel, why don't you have a little bit more worry, a little more concern? Because you need to know, and I do not mean this lightly, this world is not my home. I believe fully that this is his word and that he will fulfill everything that has been spoken and that has been written and that has been given to us. And that means I believe that for all of eternity, I will be with him, worshiping him and adoring him and giving him glory and honor and praise and worship. I believe that so deeply in my veins. What I would miss of this world is one very simple thing. I would, I would miss my kids, but trust me, I want more Jesus. This should be a, just a giant gong in our society saying, you know what? We don't control anything. We have no answers. There must be only one. Everything he has said is coming to fruition. This is his truth. His name is Jesus. He is the answer. And so if I'm dictated by fear and worry, I'm not being led by faith. This world is not my home. Even, we, we find it in Matthew chapter 27, even Pilate's wife was having dreams. Like, hey, don't, she even came to him, I have nothing to do with this, 
this man, that righteous man, she says, for I have suffered much because of the dreams that I've had. Like she knew, they both knew this man was innocent and he was righteous. But the conviction on these other people, that conviction, right? You, you have a choice of what you're going to do with godly conviction. And some of us, again, think it's an annoyance and it's a threat to what we desire. Or you go, oh, wow, it's instruction and guidance to live for Jesus. What are you doing with the godly conviction? Pilate was apathetic in it. He was unwilling to make the changes to really call out what needed to be called out. That's why I love Romans chapter 8. I want to read this for you. Romans chapter 8 is such an encouragement for us. Because in, in these challenging, difficult times, we get to be reminded that if you really have faith in Jesus Christ, man, there's nothing that can take away God from you and love. It tells us that I am convinced that nothing can separate us from the love of God. It says, no power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, it says, nothing in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that, was, that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. If you're a person who loves Jesus Christ, and maybe right now you're having to evaluate, are you really a person of faith? Is church just routine? Something that you squeeze in when you can? Is faith something that's just routine? Something to better yourself and never to really serve God? Maybe this is an opportunity for you to recognize that, you know what, you need to place your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. You need to jump on the call at 4 o'clock and learn what it is to truly surrender your life to Jesus. Some of you need to have the courage to say, I don't want to be apathetic anymore. If I don't know what to do with my kids, I want to jump on and use some of these resources that they're talking about at Be the Church or with Right Now Media and the website and everything else. I want to learn how to do it. Don't run from it. Don't allow the idol of busyness to prevent you, to keep you from living the life of being a righteous person who loves Jesus Christ and is willing to guide others into his presence to point everything to Jesus. I am begging you. I don't want things to go back the way they were. I want more knees to bow, more tongues to confess. And if you're being overwhelmed with fear, I'm telling you now, it's oil and water. When it comes to living by fear or living in faith. Will you allow godly conviction to move you from apathy to action? That's what we get to ha see happen. Godly conviction does that very thing. When you live by godly conviction, it will move you from apathy to action. Your life will change. Your life will change. So this is a request that I have of you. If you start to live by godly conviction, and here's something that maybe will help you. Can I, I just can give you a couple things that maybe you could do at home, today even. Call a friend up, 
right? FaceTime someone or speak to someone who lives there in your family. But one of the things that we can do is I'm, I'm going to ask you to start writing down the areas of your life of, where you have spiritual indifference. And you're going, well, I don't know how to do that. Well, then write down maybe the five most important aspects of, or areas of life to you and then try to determine, are you spiritually indifferent there? Because right now, man, we this is a, just pointing a giant arrow at the fact we are so good at justifying doing what we desire rather than living for Jesus. So will you identify those areas of spiritual indifference? And maybe it's your marriage or a friendship that you have with someone. Right? You claim to be best friends with someone yet you've never even, and you claim to be a Christian yet you've never even told them about what God's done for you. That's called spiritual indifference. You know, that's called apathy. Lack of interest. Which means it just doesn't matter to you. You can't embrace the love of God and then say it doesn't matter. It's not possible. Another thing I would invite you to do is to actually stand for Jesus. Speak to what God has done for you in your life. That's what he, Pilate was never willing to do when we look at this right over here. And it talks about apathy. He was never actually willing to stand Right? It, standing for Jesus was outside of his understanding. And you need to stand for Jesus. You need to speak on his behalf. And maybe that's another thing you need to do is just to begin to trust him. And to understand that he is a great God. This is an amazing opportunity for us to look in a mirror and determine if we're living by faith, trusting Jesus. We want to make the journey with you. Listen, if you called us up, if you sent us an email and said, hey, listen, I don't know how to do this. We're not going to give you a hard time. What we're going to say is that's awesome. We want to help you. We want to pray for you. We want to partner with you. That's being church. We're helping other churches. We don't... We just want the kingdom of God to grow. So God, we come before you and we ask that we have the courage to acknowledge where we are in our faith. That we have the courage, God, please give every single person listening the courage to determine that they're living a life of apathy, of self-preservation, a life in fear, or a life of compromise. God, let us choose you. Amen. Let's just worship him right now. Would you stand, even right, right where you are, would you stand as we sing to